Welcome to Mountain Meister. It's the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank. On today's episode, I talk with Brad Nethery and Tyler Sharp from Modern Huntsman. Modern Huntsman is a biannual magazine that works to restore the perception of hunting in our everyday society. There is now this, you know, divide between hunters and non-hunters. And so we're trying to move away from that and illustrate that there's a different type of hunter than what you see on these kind of redneck TV shows. We're trying to show that there's a different access point to that. Brad Tyler and I will talk about the reasons why hunting has gained this certain reputation from the influences of hunting companies and media to the individual level behavior. We'll also hear an essay from volume one called, And So I Hunt, that'll be narrated by Brad. Finally, we'll talk about how we can reduce this divide in the future. I'm Ben Shank, you're listening to Mountain Meister. Our interview with Modern Huntsman is coming up in just a bit, but first, how about something more than modern? It's the future. I'm talking about underwear from the future from Mountain Meister's sponsor, Saks Underwear. Saks has figured out the secret recipe to providing comfort, that's how the fabric makes you feel, and support, that's how secure you feel throughout the day. Simply put, Saks is designed differently. I've become so accustomed to the ballpark pouch, the internal mesh panels that keep everything in place, that when the ballpark pouch isn't there, it feels like something is missing. That's the sign of good design. You don't know what you got till it's gone. I want you to experience Saks underwear and the ballpark pouch. Mountain Meister has this amazing limited time deal with Saks. $5 off, plus free shipping on your first purchase. To get it, use my promo code, that's Meister, at SaksUnderwear.com. Again, that's SaksUnderwear, S-A-X-X, underwear.com. Use the code Meister, M-E-I-S-T-E-R, at checkout for $5 off, plus free shipping. And thanks. Now time for our interview with Modern Huntsman. Here's their CEO, Brad Nethery. Modern Huntsman is, um, it's a little bit of a, a project that that I started about three, four years ago. Um, I had actually, my most of my life, I've been what I would consider a non-hunter. Um, I would about once a year go out with my dad to go and um, pick up a shotgun and go and uh, dove hunting. But more of more of the time that we spent together was just father-son time. And if anybody ever asked me, I would never have associated as a hunter. And it's not necessarily because I was opposed to hunting as an object. It was more so because I, I felt a disconnect between uh, the the perception of the hunter and who I was aspiring to be. I didn't really want anything to do with what hunters represented, and so I kind of just avoided the whole concept entirely. What what was that that hunters represented? The the perception is kind of you know I think for most everybody listening they can probably perceive that guy in their head, and it, it is a guy unfortunately, um, but it's somebody who is you know, wearing a ton of camo, sitting in the back of a pickup truck, shotgunning a Coors Light with a bloody white tail in the back of their truck. And, and it's somebody who they look a lot more like uh, a monstrous killer than they do like a respectful enthusiast for the outdoors and for nature. And that to me as a meat eater, um, I had to start to wrestle with some concepts internally in my mind as to, you know, why I eat meat, but I didn't source it myself. Somebody had to take the life of this animal and it wasn't me. And so I wasn't opposed to, 
um, you know, eating meat, but I was opposed to going in the field. And so I really had to wrestle with that on why was it that I was uh, felt that way. And it, it took a little bit of time to, to recognize that it was a perception in my head. You know, it was a lot of it was this guy that I had really drawn out in my head and I didn't want to be associated with him. Um, but the object of what he did when it comes to hunting, I had to figure out, you know, is is this something that I stand for? You know, is this something that I can, you know, relate back to? And if so, what would it take for me to be able to digest this on a much deeper level? So um, I started doing some research and really digging into this community. And what I came to find was that there are a plethora of creatives and brands and enthusiasts and conservationists and folks all around the industry that are so fundamentally um, for the the concept of you know conservation and for protecting our public lands and um, create some extraordinary work from filmmakers to photographers to writers who who depict this culture so much more beautifully that the um, brands in the industry uh, on the whole had done a really poor job portraying. So yeah, that's that's exactly as you're talking about this is what I'm wondering. Like why did you as a consumer not really understand this side of like why why aren't the brands representing this? You know, we're we're birds of a feather and you know, we we kind of we we look at each other and see what everybody else is doing and we act that way. And I think there's been a, a level of complacency over the past several decades that um you know, has, has ostracized the hunting community. And, you know, when we introduced the concept of factory farming and, um, you know, essentially this, this idea that you, you don't have to go to a local market to source your food, or you don't have to be the one to pick up uh, a rifle or a bow and arrow to source your food that now you can go to, you know, a mass produced grocery store and, and get it and have the same emotional association with this slab of steak as you do with a bag of chips. Um, I think there was a lot of this normalized culture that started to paralyze us and um, get us into this mindset that, you know, the, the folks who source their own meat are the bad guys. And, you know, there is the kind of the Bambi effect um, and that those who choose to source their meat from the grocery store are the good guys. And and what, what I came to find is that, you know, because there's this paradigm shift that had happened in the hunting industry and really the, the food industry over the past century or so, it had given uh, people two sides of the road to stand on. You know, you're either an outdoor enthusiast or you're a hunter. Hmm. You know, we saw this really play out, especially, you know, when we talk about fishing, how, you know, um, it, there's not as much of, um, you don't have to swallow as much when you talk about fishing. For some reason, there's kind of a an easier perception to digest when you when you think about a fisherman. He's a lot more responsible. He's somebody that you kind of want to go shake your hands with, whether he's a catch and release guy or whether he you know cuts up his fish and and eats it. Um, there's just a, a different level of ideology that people paint in their heads. So what the the antithesis was is having to figure out in my own mind where this stemmed from how can we how can we get back to a point where we're not talking about hunters versus non-hunters we're not talking about um you know how uh 
the REI culture versus the, the Cabela's culture. We're talking about folks who use the land, who respect wildlife, respect uh, lands around them, and at the end of the day are fighting for the same goal. Um, and we use the land differently. And to have a respectful, uh, approachable conversation that is not so polarizing to think, you know, you're either this or that. It's interesting you mentioned the fishing. I guess it's less visceral, right? The You're catching a fish and then killing it later after you catch mm-hmm. it uh, versus the hunt is you're killing it right away. Um, I wonder if you take something like harpoon fishing where uh, that's essentially mm-hmm. hunting, uh, if people mm-hmm. have a similar similar kind of perception of harpoon fishing as they do hunting. Hmm. I've never really thought about I'm, it. I'm not but sure, I could, yeah. Yeah, I could totally see that happening. Um, Tyler, can you introduce yourself quickly? Yeah, my name is Tyler Sharp, and I'm sort of creative director of Modern Huntsmith, and I'm editor-in-chief of the magazine. Um, I've been a director, photographer, and writer in the hunting industry for the last 12 years and have been all over the world and seen all sorts of different you know, cultural traditions and, and, you know, conservation efforts and, um, you know, and then stuff in the U S as well. And, and how Brad and I kind of connected on this is that I was really frustrated with one, uh, the way that hunting was perceived, uh, when I would come back home and I would tell stories about, you know, being in, in Pakistan or Russia or Africa or wherever on these hunts and people's sometimes violent emotional reactions to, to what I was telling them that really weren't based in experience or even fact. They just had these strong emotions that they couldn't really justify or explain. And I felt that there was a big disconnect between the reality of the situation and what they believe. And and a lot of that was based on what they had read on Facebook or seen in a sensationalized news post. Um, But the other side of that is that within the hunting industry, I felt like no one was doing a very good job, or not no one, but very few people were doing a good job of communicating what, what we feel to be are the best case scenarios, right? The triumphs, the wins, the ethical people who are, um, you know, dedicating their lives to anti-poaching and conservation um, and and things that, you know, we feel like are best representatives um, and delegates of a hunting tradition. Um, because that's kind of, that's kind of drowned out by these big business, you know, box stores with camo and, you know, trucks and bucks kind of thing, like, like Brad's talking about there is now this, you know, divide between hunters and non-hunters. And so we're trying to move away from that and illustrate that there's a different type of hunter that is, you know, um, whether that's hunting for your own food or um, guys like Charles Post that are ecology-based conservationists um, or people like Brad who didn't like it but now has seen another side of it and is open to it. And he's not going to go out and do it every day, but given the opportunity to ethically source, you know, a, a wild hog or a, a deer or something like that and take home to his family, he might be now more interested in in that knowing that there's a different way from what you see on these kind of redneck TV shows or, you know, guns and ammo magazines or whatever. Um, and so we're, we're trying to show that there's a different access point to that. To give you a better idea of what you can read in Modern Huntsman, I thought it would be interesting to have Brad narrate a piece that was in their first volume. This is called And So I Hunt, and it was written by Jillian Lukiski. The truth is I'm concerned for humanity. I'm concerned with the way we insulate our bodies, minds, and souls from any degree of discomfort, shield ourselves and our children from all suffering, then grow monodimensional in our middle age until death bumps us off into the great beyond and our bodies go to stardust. I'm concerned. I don't want this for myself. I want to feel it all. I want to feel my anger, my hurt, my joy, my pain. Feel those things break me and build me. Learn from my life and move deeper into it. 
I want to have all the beautiful stuff, but I also want to know what it's like to have a face frozen with cold, an empty and aching belly, a heart filled with despair, shattered faith. I want to know what it is to suffer. My suffering brings my blessings to light. I want to shiver through the night, cut my numb hands to ribbons while gathering firewood, comprehend the desperation of thirst, keep walking under a heavy pack on horrible terrain, even if my bones are broken. I want to run out of food and no hunger. I want to fight a little for my meals, remember that eating is a privilege, reminisce about what it's like to have the luxury of an overflowing fridge and the convenience of grocery stores on every street corner. I want to warm my hands on the hot and twitching backstraps of a deer. I want to feel the dumb and wretched pain of my fingers thawing. I want to know the weight and responsibility of taking an animal's life so that I may live. I want to know the darkness and light of that act. I want to revel in the beauty of the deed well done, and I want to feel sad about it too. I want to feel that swift, elegant bullet in my own soul. I want to understand what I have done to get my food so that I value and cherish every bite of it. My memories of the hunt make me thrifty. I know the pain and toil behind every meal I create, so I waste not. We hunt as husband and wife. Our food gives us a dimensional sense of family. We hold hands. We give thanks. Our bonds are built of beating heart, blood, and sinew. Our bonds will not be broken. I'm greedy for a life well lived. I want to survive and not recreationally. It's not enough to feel cold while I'm out skiing or catch and release fishing in the rain on a beautiful river. That's trading some pain for play, and I want my suffering to mean more than that. I want to doubt. I want to fall. I want to fail. I want to wind up empty-handed despite my best, truest efforts. I want to work hard, redeem myself, and be redeemed. I want to crawl, walk, run towards my higher calling. I want to know myself better. I want to fear the wild and be feared. And so I hunt. Some of the stories on the site and and in the magazine are uh, around like a, a the conservation angle or the economy angle, uh, but but at times you just want like a story about a good hunt. I've seen this sort of story in other kind of sports like running. Uh, there are like very specialized running magazines that tell this beautiful story about a race. Uh, but when you're killing something, it kind of can come off as insensitive to to tell this beautiful story about something uh, being killed. So how do you do that as a writer? Well, I think that, um, you know, what it comes down to in certain cases as an audience is, you know, how far removed is the person reading from an actual rural life, right? I think we're three generations removed from people actually working with their hands on the land, you know, or something like that. Um, and so, you know, 50 years ago, even, you know, maybe less people were much more in contact with how they got their food. And I think that the fact that very few people in urban environments have ever had to, uh, you know, kill a chicken or, you know, butcher a cow or, uh, even, even hit a fish over the head with a stick, like you're supposed to, if you're going to keep it to, so it doesn't die a slow death, it's giving its life or you're taking its life to sustain your own. Um, and I think that's the difference in my mind that that separates ethical hunters from non-ethical hunters. I think some people go through the motions uh, and just do it because they feel like that's part of what their lifestyle needs to be versus, you know, having a sort of respect for the tradition. And so I think that where we've seen the success in the storytelling has been what happens to your mind and your heart 
when you go on these hunts and you actually take the life of an animal, there is there is a, a very real sense of remorse that hunts that that sets in. Um, but then that kind of morphs into gratitude and respect. And then when you take that home and you cook it for your wife or your girlfriend or your friends, uh, and then they sort of enjoy hearing about how that meat was brought, you know, it, it was a, a free range elk or deer that is now being served to them, you know, and you want to talk about, you know, organic grass fed free range. That's a, that's where those terms come from. It comes down to the individual's perspective, and that's really what we try to make sure that, um, you know, because if someone's against it, they're against it. But I think that we would, we were hoping that the average person who has their uh, their eyes uh, and mind open would see a little more of the sensitivity and tone that we're taking and presenting what are sometimes difficult topics to discuss. The, the way you describe that, like having the, the that amount of respect uh, for the animal and uh, knowing that you have to take its life in order for, uh, for you to survive. Is that like a natural human feeling to feel that way when you kill an animal? I've never killed an animal in, in a hunting fashion. I, I would, my, my initial answer would, would be yes. Right. Um, but I think that because there are situations in the world where people are quote professional hunters, um, or, you know, there may be uh, work on a game ranch where they have to put animals down all the time, mm. you know, maybe they don't feel that anymore because they've done it so much. And that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing, right? We're, we're trying not to necessarily pass judgment. Um, we're, we're trying to show best and could be better scenarios. But, you know, in, in the same way that, um, you know, you ride a roller coaster 25 times, the 25th time, you may not feel the same sense of emotion as you did the first time you rode it. And so, I think that there's a scale there that, you know, you kind of have to keep in mind. Um, but I think that um, there's a difference there with whether that's based in experience or that's based in ethics. And I think it's more important that it should be based in ethics. And there's a responsibility side of it. And Tyler touched on it just a second ago where, you know, at the end of the day, if somebody does eat meat, the the question isn't whether or not you you choose to sustain your life with meat. You know, the question is, you know, how, how do you know how that animal was treated? How do you know where it came from, how it lived? You know, there's a responsibility element that comes into the, into play here and there's a stewardship element. Um, and so it's not, it's not necessarily where, where we have to consider, well, you know, I, I, I don't eat meat. So, you know, I'm, I'm against this. It, it's, we're all eating meat, all of us that aren't vegans and vegetarians, we're all eating meat. Um, and with, you know, everything that everybody knows now about how, uh, you know, mass produced cattle on, on factory farms are treated and, and injected and, you know, that whole life cycle of how it ends up in a grocery store, like we know that side of it. And, and to so much of an extent, the hunting industry has done such a terrible job at trying to almost fight that yeah, with an aggressive tone. Mm -hmm. And, and it hasn't been respectful. It hasn't been honorable. It's almost been more aggressive. And that's again, why when I, you know, growing up and most of my life, um, you know, having really enjoyed hunting more as a, a pleasure just to have a, a time with dad, um, it was something I didn't really even think about as far as, you know, what was, what am I actually doing here? And how do my actions affect the land around me and, and the wilderness around me? 
And it's simply because there really wasn't a middle of the ground voice to not come in from a polarizing, um, ranting position and to come at with, uh, to come at the, the industry or the, <laughs> I would say every person that exists that eats meat to be able to speak, uh, with a much softer, much more gentle tone of voice and start to navigate this thing with clarity and with conviction. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, with the publication with volume one that we released, we want for people to read that who are meat eaters, who are not meat eaters, who are hunters, who are not hunters. And at the end of the time when they read the publication, we want them to walk away and be able to make their own decision on where they stand now. We don't want them to just go pick up a gun and, um, you know, go source their own food. We want them to figure out how they feel about this because it's not a light topic that we want people to take lightly. We want them to take it with severity. Now, some people, I guess like myself, I, I hear this and uh, I'm buying into what you're talking about. It's not very hard not to. Um, but the reality is that I'm not going to be hunting <laughs> anytime soon. Uh, I'm going to still be buying meat from the grocery store. How do I kind of listen to you or have more respect uh, without actually going out and hunting the animal? Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm going to jump in here. I think that, uh, like Brad said, we're not necessarily trying to convert people or, you know, recruit hunters, although that would be great because hunting, uh, hunter numbers are in decline. And, um, you know, while I don't have the direct statistic, um, it, it's, you know, between 90 and 95% of the conservation worldwide is paid for by, by hunting dollars. Wow. And so as that number, as that hunting hunt number of hunters goes down, so too do the conservation dollars that are at work go down. And that's not to say that there aren't alternative routes. There are right. There's, there's non-hunting conservation organizations, but they don't give even a fraction of, of what hunters do. And so, um, what we're hoping is that through discussing these topics that you, you know, someone might perceive, uh, you know, the, the intelligence and sensitivity that we're approaching these and that they might just keep their minds open the next time they see some dramatic news headline or some, you know, slanderous comment battle on, you know, on Facebook or whatever, or, you know, a very real situation, you know, with, with things like public land or, you know, hunting access or this or that, those things eventually might come to a vote. And we're trying to make sure that we are bringing uh, the experts to the table, presenting facts, um, in a constructive way, not in a propaganda way that, you know, is meant to just, uh, be combative. And so, um, you know, if, if somebody like yourself decided that you wanted to try it sometime, great, we would love to help facilitate that. A great entry point might be like a duck hunt, right? Or a quail hunt or something like that. Um, or down the road at the very least, maybe even connecting people who are interested in eating game meat, but don't want to harvest it themselves, right? That they, they have things called, you know, hunters for the hungry or, you know, I mean, it, I, I go, you know, I, I shot a couple of deer and a, and a wild hog earlier this year and had all that meat processed and could barely fit it all in my freezer. And, you know, chances are you probably know somebody who has way more game meat than they can eat in a year. And that might be interesting to start to help facilitate those situations where somebody could try it and, and, you know, maybe through a chef or someone who's talented in the kitchen, be able to kind of prepare the dish in a way that, um, and kind of talk a little bit about it. Um, and so there's kind of an educational aspect of what we're trying to do for people who are interested. We're not trying to shove it down anyone's throat. Um, but really we're just trying to bring about awareness and show that there's a different, a whole other, 
uh, side of hunting and, and conservation that we felt wasn't very um, effectively represented in the current market. So we're trying to give that a voice. You mentioned the public lands issue. There's been a push in the outdoor industry to unite with the uh, hunters and anglers, and I'm sure it comes from the other direction as well. Um, and part of the reason is that our public lands are under attack or they're threatened at least. Uh, and we need to kind of combine forces for this common good. Um, I guess, how can I trying to figure out like exactly what my question is here? Like, <laughs> what, like this, this seems great, but like, how do yeah. we, how do we unite? Yeah, well, that's a, a great question, um, and that is a question we are going to answer in much more detail with Volume 2 uh, okay. of the issue. So Volume 2 is actually going to be themed around public lands. Um, and so we will be discussing a lot of those topics in detail um, as it relates to crossover uh, into the outdoor world. And we've been told from both sides, right, because we, you know, Brad and I kind of have a vision with Modern Huntsman that, you know, maybe in the next few issues we're going to be able to bring in Patagonia or, or, or REI or HipCamp or Black Diamond or, you know, Renan or, or somebody who's traditionally more in the outdoors world. Um, and while Brad and I maybe don't have exact answers to how we can unite, I think that what it comes down to is open-mindedness and, and a realization of a commonality and cause um, that we as Americans have a wealth of inherited natural resources that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. I mean, I, I just got back from the United Kingdom and I was in Scotland and England and there's almost zero, not zero, but very, very little public access land, right? I mean, they have different regulations where you can kind of, you know, walk on people's farms if you want, but there's fences everywhere and it's just not the same thing. And we, we need to really make sure that we, you know, appreciate what we have and, and keep, uh, rather than fight amongst ourselves to kind of, you know, agree to, to go after the common good. And what's been really cool too is that what we're kind of calling the, the general outdoor industry or the REI community is basically anybody who is outside and doesn't carry a gun or, or a, a bow and arrow is there's been so much um, good conversation that's happened in the past two or three months as we've been working through partnering up with brands and organizations who are going to be a part of this thing alongside us who, you know, their conversations are so much less around trying to, you know, poke holes in the mindset of the hunter and, um, you know, trying to drill down on, you know, getting past um, maybe personal beliefs. And it's entirely driven around, hey, we both use this land. We are all in this together. There's a common mission here. There's a common unifier. And we've got to stand together and stop the, the, the battles and, and the quarrels um, over the application, the use of land and work together to, to, like you said, I mean, this is a national crisis and it's going to get worse if it doesn't get addressed by both sides, um, together. And so this is kind of our hope for volume two is that we start to unite people by uniting the organizations and give a new voice to both industries that's, that stands up and says, you know, we're done, we're done quarreling. Like, Let's let's do this together and let's start something new and fresh and and have a cohesive working relationship from here on out. Where can uh, people find out more about Modern Huntsman? So you can check out our website at modernhuntsman.co, C-O, or on Instagram at modernhuntsman, that's M-A-N. 
Um, otherwise, um, we are in very selective retailers all across the U.S. and the U.K. And so we have a, a spot on our website under our stockists page where you can check out where we're stocked. Great. That's modernhuntsman.co. I'll have the links in the show notes of the episode. That's Brad Nethery and Tyler Sharp. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. Thank you. Thanks. The second volume of Modern Huntsman will be released later this month. We'll have the link to that on our website and the show notes as well. That's all for today's episode. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you have any feedback for me, you can send me an email, ben at mtnmeister.com. Guest requests are also great. Also, if you want to follow along my upcoming adventure from Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C., I'm riding a bike between the two cities, you can do that on our Instagram, at mountainmeister, spelled out. Normally, pretty insecure or forgetful about posting photos, but I'll do my best to change that this time around. Maybe even some Instagram stories. Enjoy doing the rest of whatever else you do while you listen to this podcast. I'm your host, Ben Shank. Thanks for listening to Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister.